Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Every week we want to declare that in one way or another, the songs may change week after week, but the message is still the same, that we are declaring who Jesus is in our life as he continues to grow us. I'm glad you're back this week. Glad we're back, that we can worship together. It is good to see you as we continue this series this morning. So last Monday, we know what last Monday was, it was Labor Day, right? And I don't know what your plans were for Labor Day, but we had uh, people over to our house. And uh, just to swim, to eat some food, just to hang out, a great time. Now in that group were uh, three kids, okay? And they were ready to have a blast, they were ready to just enjoy the day, and quite honestly, the, the pool is new to the Moore house, and so these are the first kids that were going to come, and just we were excited about it. But there's a conversation that needed to happen with these kids, and the, and the conversation was, what are the rules of the pool, okay? And so we kind of gathered them up, and like, okay, here's, I, I only have two rules, Two rules. One is no running, all right? No running. And the second one is no diving um, headfirst into the pool. Uh, Scott doesn't want that, all right? And so they were off and running and, and ready to go. But rules are a funny thing because some people really love rules. I mean, this is a mixed crowd this morning. Some people, they really love rules. Some people hate the idea of them at all. You know, some people, you love rules because it gives you boundaries and margins, and you're like, I know how far I can go, and I know how to live inside this. There's almost a safety, and for other people, it's almost like it's a straitjacket, where it's just like, I feel confined, and I just want to break loose, and I think our, our wirings in this are funny when you get into these conversations of rules or no rules, but you know why I had to have rules at my house, right, though? Right? Like, you know why I had to do that? Why did I have that conversation? One is because um, it, it's my house, and, and I kind of need to lay out the expectations for the day of, of what was going to happen. And the second thing was, is because I didn't want to take their fun. I wanted to maximize the fun as much as possible for that day. I mean, think about it. No running. Why no running? Well, it's no fun to fall and scrape your knee. There's no fun in that. No running, because when you do that, there's potentially you could step on the side of the pool, like, and maybe you fall in accidentally, or you hit your head, you hit your hip. This, this stuff happens, so like, no running. It makes sense why we do that. No diving. I mean, our pool at this deepest point is six, six and a half feet. And, and it's no fun to hit the bottom of your head on the bottom of the pool. I, I, the rules were made so that the kids could enjoy it as much as possible that day. The best rules are always rules that are made for the people in mind. If you missed last week, um, you know we're in the middle of this series. That's how we're in the middle of the series, and, and we titled this. I titled this series just really simply "The God of." Okay, the God of. And, and the, the inspiration behind this series is a story that came out of 1 Kings chapter 20. 
all right? Like, if you missed that message, I'd love for you to go back because, you know, when I, when I begin a series, you, you're used to this by now, I, I kind of set the tone and I kind of set the foundation for the series. So if you missed that, I'd love for you to go back and watch or listen. But I talked about this king named Ben-Hadad in 1 Kings chapter 20. And King Ben-Hadad vastly underestimated who God was and his power. After having conversations with his counselors, with his people, he determined that God was the God of the, uh, the Israelite God was the God of the hills, but not the God of the plains. He came to this conclusion because once again, I spoke about this was the culture of the ancient gods back in the ancient times when he was. And so because he believed this, he decided it is time to, to go into a battle with the Israelites, but they're not going to battle in the, the, the mountains or the hill area. They're going um, to fight them on the plains. And he learned very quickly that he had underestimated. He learned very quickly that his assessment was completely wrong. Because the lesson he learned was that God had something to show the people. The lesson he learned was God was going to follow up what he said in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28, where, where um, this is what God said, the Lord is what, uh, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans think the Lord is God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am Lord. This story, this moment in the history of the Israelite people was to show the opposing army, was to show the Israelite people who God really was. That he was not God of the hills. He was not God of the valleys. He was not God of the rain and agriculture and, and fertility and the seas and everything else that the other gods were. He was a God that was over and in everything. This is what they needed to learn. That everywhere, everywhere they went, God was there too. The Israelites had to learn this lesson. This lesson had to be, uh, to, to be learned by them, and it has to be learned by us. That all throughout Scripture, we see God in many different ways. Many different ways we see God work. And my hope is for the end of this series, end of this teaching, is that almost a confidence grows in us. That no matter what scenario, no matter what place, no matter what situation, that God is everywhere and that we can expect him to meet us there. So for the next couple months, you'll see conversations that are titled this. And you won't know what they mean till we get there, but we're going to talk about how God is the God of the mountains, the valleys, and the sticks and stones. What is he trying to speak to us? What do we need to learn? I guess we'll see. I hope you'll be part of it. But that is the foundation of where we're going. So today, the first conversation in this, I want us to see, I want us to look at, what do, is it like to see God move in the mountains? One of my favorite books, if not my absolute favorite book of the Bible, is Exodus. 
Exodus is a book that I think if I start a series today, we could talk all the way till next year, just working through this powerful book together. Because Exodus is where we see the launching of God's movement in the Israelite people as a whole and launched into their future. And what we see is, because we see the, the beginnings of these Israelite people as a group, not just individuals, we see what the future for Christians is going to hold. And so today what I want to do is I kind of want to give you a big picture look at Exodus. Kind of a big picture of what God did in this book. But where we're going to land specifically today is Exodus 19 and 20. If you want to go there, you can if you've got your Bibles. But first I want to tell you how this book starts. Exodus as, as, as a book is, is letting us know from the very first chapter that something has happened to God's people. It sets the stage for us that the Israelites have found themselves under the authority in bondage, in slavery to the people in Egypt, specifically under the leader um, Pharaoh. And what it begins to tell us in detail is this journey of God ultimately looking to save these people through a man called Moses to rescue them from slavery. And if you keep moving on, you'll see this eventually happens through a story that I know you know, the parting of the Red Sea. But if you know the story of how he parts the Red Sea, if you know anything about the, the, this book of Exodus, you'll know that the rescuing the freedom moment that happens there was not the end of the story, it was really the beginning of the story. If you know, if you recall the story, you know that this is just the beginning moments of what God is trying to do in this group of people, his people, the Israelites. And if this wasn't the big moment, if this wasn't the total big thing that God was trying to do, the question we should ask then, what was the big thing he was trying to do? If freeing them from Egypt wasn't the climax of the story, wasn't the end game, then what was the end game? Well, if you read before the parting of this Red Sea moment, you'll see in Exodus chapter 7, God sends Moses to say a well-known, famous line to Pharaoh. And in this moment, he declares what the big purpose is, what the move of God that he wants to do in these people's lives. When he says in Exodus chapter 7, Pharaoh, this is the word of the Lord, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. You've heard that line, yeah? Let my people go for the purpose of them being able to worship me in the wilderness. God wanted to rescue his people so they could be with him, so they could worship him. This was the end game. This was the end game. But what was that going to look like? Because I'll be honest, previous to this moment, there weren't big groups of people there were individuals but big groups of people who understood how this was going to play out so how was God going to develop that in them that's why chapter 19 and 20 
are necessary. And this morning, I'm going to do something that like, I rarely ever do. I want to read a large portion of text for you. I'm actually going to read both chapter 19 and 20. So if you want to follow in your Bible, you can. You can follow on the screen. Or maybe you can just close your eyes, and I will read these two chapters to see what God's endgame was for his people. Chapter 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. All through the whole, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for a kingdom, me a priest and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and sent before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They're to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourself for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, and a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they did not force their way uh, through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Sinai, because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or, 
um, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents and the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord or your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who uses his name. Remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but on the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor male or female servant nor animals nor form residing in your towns for in six days the lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything even that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet, They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not God have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. It's probably the longest text that I've ever read on a Sunday morning, but I didn't want to just share the story. I wanted you to see it as it was written. And the last thing that I said before I read that text was that freeing the people was only the beginning they probably believed that was the end game. That was the big goal. That was the thing they've been waiting for. That's all they wanted, to get out of Egypt. But for God, hear me, for God, this was only the beginning. Now they, that they were freed, in reading this, what was God trying to do? If you're a note taker, this is your moment that after God freed the people from Egypt, he needed to reconnect the relationship with his people through his presence. The end game was after he had freed the people, he wanted to reconnect with them through his presence. And why did he need to do that? These people had been in Egypt for a long time. Do you know how long they've been in Egypt for? You know how many years that was? Exodus 12, verse 40 says, Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. 
think about that. Generations have been in Egypt. God didn't just want to. God didn't just need to get people out of Egypt. He needed to begin a work of getting Egypt out of these people. And to do this, he needed to do more than physically free them. He needed to begin a work where they become spiritually free. And I think the number one thing that God wanted to do was the heart of what God was to change from being the God they had heard about to the God they knew personally. I need you to get a picture of what it was like to be these Israelites after living in Egypt for 430 years. So I'll go back to what I tell you all the time. Can you leave your seat you're sitting in now? 2023, Tuscaloosa. Leave your experiences for a moment and think what it was like to live in Egypt your whole life. What it was like to be with those people, to hear the stories of your people's God. To have stories being passed down from generation to generation, hearing about the covenant that was made with Abraham, that you were the people and he was your God. But you don't know those stories firsthand. Has that ever happened to you in life? When you hear a story and you're like, man, I wish I'd experienced it. Okay, it's good to, to hear it, to know it, but I wish I'd actually been there and experienced it. That is the life of these people, that they had known about God, but did they really know God themselves? When you spend years in a foreign land, in foreign experiences, foreign cultures, foreign gods, a lot happens to you. It begins to shape you as a person. And so God needed to reshape how they thought. God needed to reshape how they lived. And I think that's what God is doing here in chapter 19 and chapter 20. See, when many people have specifically chapter 20 read to them, or you come across what we call the Ten Commandments, right? That's what we read. Many times the first thought that comes to mind is, here are the rules that God made, and I better obey them or what? I'll be in trouble. The reason last week I went to this ancient God culture is because, uh, if, I'll remind you, that there was an idea that the gods were in power and you had to keep the gods happy. If you wanted rain, you better keep the rain God happy. If you want good harvest, you better keep the agricultural God happy. If you want to fall in love, you want to have a baby, you want to whatever, you have to keep the God happy. And if you don't, then you're in trouble, bad things will happen these mindsets begin to creep in and you can see these rules as rules that keep us in line or God's not going to be happy with us the problem with that is nothing can be further than the truth Go back to how I started today talking about these kids at my house swimming and having fun the reason I made the rules was what? 
I want them to have the most fun time possible. They are a guest in my house, and I want them to be like, man, when we go to Scott and Amber's house, we have a great time. That this experience and this relationship that's built is at Scott and Amber's house, this is, this is a place I want to be. Because they have a great time, and so sometimes rules, they allow this. Rules gives an environment so that they can function in the best way possible. And here's what I believe from chapter 20, is that through his rules, God was pursuing them for relationship. This moment in Exodus, after the freeing from slavery, God is pursuing them by creating boundaries and margins for how to live. Now, the rest of the story, real quick, is you keep moving on in chapters 32 to 34. You know these chapters because Moses goes back up. And what does he get at the top of the mountain? And what does he bring down? He's got the tablets, right? Really cool that I think the first time that goes from God's voice speaking to actually something being written is in this moment. But what happens when he comes down from the mountain? The Israelites have done what they said they wouldn't do. They've gone against one of those rules. Don't worship gods that are me. They've collected all their gold together They've asked Aaron, will he, will he make a, an idol so they can worship it? Moses comes down and he breaks the tablets, an interesting part of the story, and melts the, the gold down and in, combined in their water, he makes them drink it. If you want the God so bad of this, then you're going to consume it. You're going to drink it. Like He's like, this is ridiculous what you did while I was gone. But you know what happens next too, right? Moses goes back up the mountain and he pleads with God please forgive them please forgive them and this book ends with something that for many of you will seem very very boring the end of the book are details of how the tabernacle is to be built and you're like okay let's get to the good stuff they disobey God Moses pleads, and God gives them instruction in how to build a tabernacle. Why? This is pre-Jesus, and this is where his presence is going to reside. They've been in captivity. He wants them to worship him. He creates boundaries and margins of how to function in a relationship with him. And then they sin against him, and then he forgives them, and he creates a way for his presence to be experienced with these people. Because at the end of the day, it just wasn't the freedom moment they wanted, that he wanted. He wanted what came after was where they would experience his loving presence so they could be in relationship with him. God on Mount Sinai was creating a structure, creating a system, creating a way for his people to know him in a way that they've never known him before. And we can know a story 
We can grow up in church and have this story and even see it in movies and have the details. And we don't get the major significance and it doesn't penetrate our heart deeply that these people have been in Egypt. They had been away from God. And he's like, no, I want you to be with me. And let me show you how this can be done. couple years ago, maybe not quite now, um, a couple in the church took a trip, and they came back, and they said, Scott, we brought you something. I said, okay, that's cool. Um, They brought me back this rock. Weird gift, right? But if you know me, if you go to my office, there's artifacts, and there's stuff that, you know, I love coins, and I love artifacts from the days of Jesus, different things like that, and this rock is from the mountain where we believe Sinai is, and they walked up. I said, I want to bring you because we know you love this stuff. And I love this rock. Because when I see this and when I hold this, it brings me back to this moment in Exodus that I think is so powerful of what God did for his people. And how I want to end today is just to reinforce the two biggest things for today that I want you to walk away with from this story. And the first one is this. God loved his people before he made the rules. This can be so simple, yet some of you, because of your upbringing, need to hear this. Because of the reputation that you think God has and Christianity has, you need to be reminded God loved his people before he made the rules. You saw the timeline of this, right? God uses Moses to free the people. That happens first. God's love came before the rules were made and he's freeing the people so they can be in a loving relationship in the presence of God. And the rules, once again, were made for us to experience his presence, not to get his love. The the love came before the rules. The love came. The rules came out of the love. Because you and I being in his presence, you and I being in relationship with him, I think is all that God has ever wanted from the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God was in his creation and he's walking with his people exactly the way he wanted it and sin ends up corrupting this relationship and the rest of the story is how do i get my people back how do i rescue them out of themselves how do i rescue them away from their egypt How do I rescue them out of the messes they get themselves in? I am a God that loves and wants you to be in my presence. The problem was they didn't know how this worked. The problem was at this point, these people had been at a distance from God for so long, they didn't even know how his presence worked in their life. And we see that because I'm going to reread from you how they responded to when his presence was with them. Verse 18. 
When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. Their first response was one of fear. Speak to us yourself and we will listen, they said to Moses. But do not have God to speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And the next line is, and they kept a distance while Moses went. They felt more comfortable in a distant relationship with God. And I wonder this morning, can that be said of any of us? That we can become comfortable knowing who God is, but from a distance. And do we do this because we're not really sure, is God mad at me? We're not really sure because we see ourselves, we see our heart, we see our selfishness, we see our sin, we see how we act. And so it's like, I've heard God loves me, but I also know me. And I kind of feel more comfortable being at a distance from him. We can sit in church and still be distant from God. Story after story, people have told me, Scott, I come to church, but I don't know where my relationship with God is. He feels distant. And we can become comfortable with that. And God is trying to close that gap. In this story we see, I, he wants to give his presence. And for us to trust that you can have a close proximity relationship. He wants to cut down the distance and make it close. The first thing I want us to know is that love came before the rules. And that should set the course for our relationship. He wanted his presence to be experienced. That's why he gave the rules to give structure how to work out this relationship. But love was there first. The second thing when I hold this rock and I see this rock I'm reminded of is that God's presence is actually experienced through obedience to him. God's presence is actually experienced i think at a heightened level through obedience to him hear me god was creating the boundaries and relationship not to hold his presence back but to allow us to know how we can approach god And this wasn't the only time it was said. We can fast forward this, and Jesus actually reinforces this message in Exodus chapter 20 when he says in John 14, John 14, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. Anyone who loves me will obey what I'm saying we should do. And my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make a home with them. That word right there, make a home. And I will dwell with them. I will abide with them. I will be with them. 
If you want to be my disciple, follow the teachings, and I will then be able to be with you. Love came first. But if we want to heighten the experience, the relationship, the presence of God, it actually comes through obedience. And I want to warn us today about something. Something that I see all the time is that I think we believe that the presence of God is experienced most when there's a powerful, awesome worship song that moves us. Through a, maybe a teaching or a sermon that's like, oh man, I just felt, I hear all the time, man, God was with us today. The Holy Spirit was moving today. Two things with this. One is, I won't say this to your face, but I'll say it from stage. I'll, what I'm thinking is, duh, because we can't go anywhere where God isn't. We've talked about that, right, before. Of course God met with us. He's here. But two God can meet us in worship. God can meet us in a teaching. But will we not confuse how we feel about something and his presence? That I think from Jesus' teaching right here to the people, he said, you want me to dwell with you. You want me to make a home with you. You want me to be in your presence. Obey my teachings. From the very beginning, God created structure for relationship. And Moses says, don't be afraid. He loves you. He's just trying to create this so that you will not have sin in your life. And when sin is not in your life, I'll tell you, the heightened presence of God is there. We can meet God in all kinds of things. But here's just what I believe on this because of the history of the church and legalism has been so powerful you're told don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do this and we have bible things and we have extra biblical things and we just tag on all of our things don't do this don't do this that sometimes we reject like God's full of grace and God is just loving and God is all the things that we know and we forget there's actually a set up way to live. He has teachings, he has boundaries, he has, he has a, a life that he wants us to live. He started it in Exodus, but Jesus goes, that's still the way it is. If you will obey my teachings, I can be in your presence and you can experience me in powerful ways. And I'd like to a little bit push back this morning on the rejection of the way legalism may have worked in the church and said, yes, listen, I grew up in it as well. But it wasn't all bad. Because at the root of it, it was trying to get people to be able to be in the presence of a holy God. And that he has a life for us to live. That the same God of the Old Testament is experienced in the New Testament and still being experienced today. And you want to experience the presence of God. First, know that he loves you before any rules. But two, when we cultivate a relationship with him based on the teachings he has given us, his presence is heightened in our life. The people had been freed from Egypt. And, 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 and you've probably heard teaching before, if I can equate Egypt as like our past, our sin. Jesus frees us from this life. 
That's step one. That's, that is right. I want to free you from this. But I want so much more for you. And he was on Mount Sinai showing the people for the first time collectively, I want you all to be my people. Now live inside of these guidelines. And I'm going to, I'm even going to be in your presence through the tabernacle. Jesus comes later, and we know that we become the temple. We become the tabernacle of God. But it started way before Jesus, that he's always wanted to be your God. He's always wanted to be my God. But there also is a standard that he says, live this way, and you will experience more and more of me. And my question this morning, are there areas in your life where you're like, Maybe there's a reason God is at a distance. And it's not because he wants to be at a distance. It's because there's some obedience issues in me. Not in a legalistic way. I'm a grace guy, y'all. I think Jesus is gracious. He forgives. But is there some things in your life where it's like, God, you may not be mad at me because you're a loving God but it is keeping you a bit away. So maybe for you today, God wants to speak to you and remind you he loves you before the rules, but maybe he wants to speak something inside of you that goes, you know what I've asked you to do. You know the life that I've called you to. You know around here, we talk about becoming more and more like Jesus every day. We know that's the calling on our life, but is there an area of obedience that the God in the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and the God of today wants to do a work in our life to bring a closer relationship where his presence is felt in us. So simply today, maybe forgiveness is something that you need in your life. And just be honest, I think repentance is one of the most powerful vehicles to the presence of God. And maybe you want to repent, just like, God, I'm sorry. Maybe your repentance is, God, I still think of you like a God that's mad at me, and you forget, I forget that you love me first, and I'm sorry I viewed you that way. I just trust as we read scripture, God speaks into places in our life if we allow them, and maybe today we'll respond to however he's speaking to you. Can I pray and ask God to do that? Heavenly Father, thank you that you freed us. Thank you that when we repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me for my sins, there's a freedom moment there that he, you take us out of Egypt and you bring us into the more you have for us. Help us to have humility to see that. But God, also help us to see that that's not the end, that's only the beginning. You want a deep relationship where we experience your loving presence in our life. And God, for anybody today that struggles with relationship because we, because you, they think that you're an angry God or you're a God that's always punishing. You're a God that just makes rules to keep us in line. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to you. No, you're a loving God first. But God, also that you want to be closer and closer with us every day. And I believe obedience is the vehicle to get us to that place. And so, God, there's an area in our life that we need to just give to you. Help us today to live in that humility to say, God, my life is yours forgive me for whatever it is. 
Speak to us as we worship, and may we respond as your people. It's your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.